I love gays. Listen, <laughs> I love it. Snook said I love gays. It's like chess. You make your move. Okay, I'll analyze it, figure it out, and then I'll make my move. Checkmate. <laughs> Welcome into Montgomery and Company. I'm Renee Montgomery. Release your job. Release your stress. So listen, Beyonce came out with a new song called Break My Soul, and we're going to talk about it because people are actually listening to the lyrics. It's wild. They're releasing their job. We're going to get into it. Great for Beyonce. I mean, people follow the queen. We also have the legend Nancy Lieberman coming on to talk the Commissioner's Cup, which is Fastly approaching, I mean, it's coming up July 26th. And last but not least, we got some history today, okay? We have Terrence Moore, the author of The Real Hank Aaron, and also national sports columnist for Forbes.com. We're going to talk to Terrence about a lot, especially involving sports and race. Check it out. Summer, summer, summer time. Hey, it's summertime, baby, and that means it's NBA Summer League going on. Not now, but right now, okay? So the NBA Summer League is going on. Last year, Serena and I went to Vegas. I called some games. When I tell you it is a star-studded lituation. I don't even know if people say that anymore, but I couldn't think of any other word to describe how many people are at NBA Summer League. So last year when I was there, I actually met for the first time the West Virginia legend. So yes, I'm from West Virginia and Jerry West is from West Virginia. I met him at Summer League and it was really crazy. I'm not gonna lie. I was pretty shocked at how just warm, welcoming and open he was. You know, you just never know what you're gonna encounter when you run into a superstar. But when I met Jerry West, you know, I told him who I was and that I was from West Virginia and that now I'm one of the co-owners of the Atlanta Dream. And he just started shooting out advice like, you know, you got to be firm, that you got to be fair and a lot of different advice that was unsolicited, but very, very welcomed. And so I was just sitting there talking to him, thinking, I can't believe I'm talking to him. For me, it was a dope feeling because growing up, obviously, in West Virginia, Jerry West is the logo. Like, he's the actual logo of the NBA. That's a hard thing to fathom. But he is. And so knowing someone of that status and now, you know, feeling like they can be a mentor if you need them, that was crazy. And that was at Summer League. And that wasn't it. I mean, Summer League had a lot of stars there. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stars there this year as well. Last year, oh, my goodness, I can't even name them all. But John Morant was there, like, all the time watching his his squad play. I saw a lot of people there. I think the Giannis, uh, I was about to say the Giannis brothers, Antetokounmpo brothers were there, I believe. Steph Curry, LeBron. I think everybody pretty much comes through because it's summer league. So I don't know. I feel like that's dope. And I feel like we need to start doing that for Athletes Unlimited. So I'm going to try to make sure I make my way up to Vegas this year or next year for Athletes Unlimited because I love the vibes of basically like hoops all year, man. Like let's hoop all year. But anyway, summer, summer, summer time. That's so bad. I need Serena's help. Get some sun, man. It's summertime. I don't know if 
you've been under a rock. But if you have, Beyonce has released a new song. And when Beyonce releases a song, it's big news because it's Beyonce, hello. So she released a song called Break My Soul. Drake released a new album too. They're coming out with different music. The genre feels different. It feels like a different sound, but I like it. Serena plays Break My Soul almost on repeat. (laughs) I hear it on all of our Alexa devices playing. I hear it all over the house. There's something that feels good about the song. The song picks up your spirits, which is exactly, I can tell what she wanted it to do. And so a lot of people have gravitated to the song But not just the song, the message of the song. So during the song, she basically says, you won't break my soul. You won't break my heart. Like, and she says, like, they say, release your job, release your stress. Y'all know what I'm talking about when we get to that. But (laughs) they basically telling you, protect your peace. Don't let anything break your soul. Don't let anything break your peace. Protect your peace. And so that made me think because we're coming off of the great resignation and we're still in it. I saw on the Internet that some people took her words to heart and they were like, yeah, I ain't gonna let this job stress me out. Release my job, release my stress. (laughs) And they did exactly that. So that just brings me here to like, first of all, what are our thoughts on people quit Cole? I can already see Cole has a, Cole, what are you thinking? I just got to ask right now, what's going through your mind? You know, I never am the one who listens to songs first. (laughs) But for whatever reason, I had a moment. It came up on my, I guess, Google feed and it was like, hey, you know, Beyonce releases her song. Okay, I don't have anything to do for right this moment. I think I was in the car waiting on Vance to come out from where he was or practice or something. And so I put the song on and I listened to the words and I literally picked up my phone and I typed into our family chat and said, people are going to be unemployed everywhere. These lines (laughs) and this internet is about to be a real serious thing. And so I say to you, I hope if you did release your stress and (laughs) resign from your job, that you had a plan. I I I know, I know people were ready to do it anyway. And that was just the push they needed. I know she was like, he was looking for a sign. Beyonce was it. (laughs) But I'm gonna hope you had a plan. I'm gonna hope you didn't quit that job and then went home and your family was like, so what now? You really did that. You really did that. Uh, Listen, she's gonna say yes. And you won't break my soul. I hope that's what they say back to the family. I hope that rent, that mortgage, that light bill, that food bill don't break their soul either because that's coming next. <laughs> that's what's coming next. It's still coming. Listen, songs are a real influence. I'm not even yes. like, you know, Beyonce music is a moves. real influence though. The Beyonce influence is Beyonce though. <laughs> like all these people quitting their jobs. Yes. Snook, what do you think? Well, you know, y'all, uh, I haven't really heard, uh, had a chance to really dive into all of the lyrics of the song. But from what I'm getting is the song is telling you that you need to have your peace. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. And I've never had a problem <laughs> finding <laughs> peace. You know, the other people might not have peace after I leave, but I want to hear this. How did you keep your peace, Snug? Working in education for 40, 30, 40 years. How did you keep your peace in <laughs> Yeah. in the professional world? Well, I, I think you have to know what your values are. And a lot of times this is the problem. This is the problem of work. Your values do not align with your organization's values. Mm-hmm. And so my thing was I always had to try to dig in. And sometimes they say one thing is their mission, 
but really they're not actually doing what they say their mission is. So my thing is with my values, I have to dig in and find out where my organization's values align with mine. And then that's where I really put my heart at. Now they could tell me this, this, and this, and fine, that's good. But I am going to be doing what I feel is first of all right and second of all what's not going to give me any yeah but uh, i want to hear <laughs> why they leave maybe stressed and not you you said something along the lines of well maybe they might be but i ain't had no problems what happens when somebody no tries games. to break your soul snook well when they break my soul i personally don't believe that anyone can do that to me because I have a strong enough mind to where it's whatever they're doing or whatever they're saying, I can overcome it. And usually what I found is when they had a problem with something or whatever, I made it so good that everybody else said so much great about it that they didn't have, <laughs> they couldn't have anything Snuggle the real So you kill him with kindness. Yeah, but that's not what she was saying. If we ran that tape back, <laughs> Snook was alluding to something. <laughs> not was. the, hey, she I'm going to kill him with kindness. Not mm -hmm. the, hey, my morals and the organization's morals don't align. This is not what Snook was saying at all. <laughs> she said when she leave, their pieces upset. What were you alluding to? What do you mean? That's I mean, Oh, my know. goodness. So, I think, okay, I think, so I think Renee be... wants to hear a little bit of Fanny Pearl come out. She, there you she go. wants to uncensor. Well, well, you know what? what? How I would Fanny Pearl protect mind. I mean, that's the thing. Why would you let someone say things to you or, or give you uh, things to do when they didn't align with how you really felt? So you have to be strong enough to tell people where you're coming from and like I said if if that's what they want then fine that's Cole, what, what was I trying to say she's basically <laughs> saying that you ain't gonna upset her piece because she leave your piece gonna be upset she Boom. gonna let the no, place no. out she gonna let the Thank place you. out well as I said I'm gonna speak up and I'm not gonna let anybody run piece and she's gonna drop the mic she's gonna let the people have it basically <laughs> she's gonna you. let the place <laughs> out she's gonna let the people have it you know I don't do that oh my goodness here and try to talk nice to y'all. What is Snook talking about? Like, yes, I just try to align with theirs. And if theirs doesn't align, I lean into the ones that do. <laughs> what was you talking about, Snookabooka? If you come to Snook and you talk crazy to my Snookabooka, I can sit it. here and tell you with confidence. It's going to come. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> with confidence. It's coming. That Snookabooka, you won't break her soul. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> Snookabooka, there's going to be a back and forth. There's going to be a battle of who can break whose soul. And yeah. it ain't going to be no. I, mean, be I, think, I think that was, what Snook is trying to say, she, she taught critical thinking. You know, she can get in someone's mind and they don't even know it, you know, and she could be playing these mind games with them <laughs> and she she don't even need to be nasty. She could just kill him with kindness. Mm -hmm. And Sam, that's how she so protects sweet. her peace. She's such a sweetheart. <laughs> like, what are y'all all such a sweetheart. She's trying to be so nice. She's a lady. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. Get it away from me. What are okay. y'all talking about? Okay. Snoop was not saying hey, that. No, she was not saying that. But Sam, how do you keep your peace? How do you keep your stress level low? Well, um, you know what? I, I agree with Snook, you know, because Renee spoke at this event for ESPN and this lady asked her, how does Renee manage when her manager or whatever, when the person who is her boss wants to take too much of her time? She probably thought that Renee was going to give her like a nice answer, <laughs> like like maybe like self-care and and uh, maybe, you know, time out your time <laughs> management or things like that. And she, Renee was like, look, if you don't like that job, you're going to have to leave 
leave that job because it's going to feel like a hamster wheel. It's going to be a grind. But if whatever field you're in, you're going to have to love it or else you're going to have to leave it because it is going to feel like a grind. You know, so I feel like whatever I do, I do it with love. And if I don't love it, I leave it, you know, and also I cut people off. I don't mind cutting people off just because first and foremost, I became a mom really young. So I had my priorities just different from other teenagers and other young ladies. So I didn't want anybody messing with my family or my my son and things like that. So I really didn't feel bad cutting people off because I feel like at the end of the day, I'm a fierce protector for my family. And that's how I keep my peace. You won't break my soul. Well, let me just say, let me just <laughs> exactly. say this about protecting your peace as well. When I worked in the office, there was certain foolishness that I would not address before 10 o'clock because I'm protecting my peace. I'm not going to walk in the door. You, yeah, there was a problem there yesterday. I'm going to come in this office in the morning. I'm going to do what I need to do, check my emails. Good. But all that people come with the drama first thing in the morning. I protect my peace too. So I don't invite crazy. If something's going to yeah. turn me up at 830 in the morning, it ain't <laughs> going to get turned on until 10. Because I need for yes. everything to be in a certain thought process before I address the foolishness. So I protect my soul by I choose when I want to engage in foolishness. That's how Listen, I protect my soul. Y'all already know what I'm going to say for mine. I don't know what happened to me at a young age, snookabooka. But at a very young age, I really stopped caring about like outside humans. So what they said, how they said it, who they said it to, why they said it, all of those type of things. I was like, none of them things is my concern. Like, even if it's about me, I'm saying all of those things, if they are about me, like literally a homie that said it that I thought was a homie, I really don't be caring. People will come to me and think they got the hottest tea. Like, girl, let me tell you what so-and-so said about you. And I'm like, oh, for real, man, that's crazy. And they're like, ain't it though? How do you feel about that? I'm like, you know what I'm saying? I don't really care. Like, I don't really care about humans and what they think. So for me, it will be very, very hard to break my spirits. I think that's how the sports world, that's why I had a certain energy when I played basketball. That's when I had a certain energy when I was at practice or the games. Listen, if you play sports, you will feel this to your core. Every day you go to practice, you feel like somebody's trying to break your soul. <laughs> Every day when I showed up to work, it could be running because, you know, I didn't get a good rest last night. And, and now coach got us running all practice. You know, they're trying to break my soul. Nope. It could be your coach. They might cuss you out real good. and You was trying real hard. They trying to break your soul. Nope. It could be your teammates. Of course, this is a competitive league, so it could be somebody that's playing behind you. Now, all of a sudden, they came to practice. They're trying to be real extra. They want more minutes, so they're going to take it out on you. You trying to break my soul? Nope. It's just like at every turn, somebody could be trying to – the trainer. You know, you just want to get out there. The trainer saying you're not ready yet. That could try to break your soul? Nope. So for me, it's like I just developed a nope about it to where it was like, nope. Like, I don't really care. It's like, oh, the coach yelling at me today. All right, it's my day today. All right, that's no problem. Turn up. Let me get turned up. Like, that's how I would just do it. Like, nope. So when I heard that break my soul, I too, like you, Cole, I was like, man. So folks is really waiting on a sign. And Beyonce just gave it to them. They was probably, home. some <laughs> folks probably heard it at work and was like, you know what? Let me, let me just log on out for the day. The same <laughs> thing that you said, though. I feel like she's saying, like, basically, if you if your heart is not there and just don't let them break your soul. Quit that job. Find something yeah, that you love. I, I feel like the pandemic yeah. did that. Yeah, you but know, people I feel took like it literally. The 
literally people had no yes. plan and plan to walk out that's the problem you have you have some people who who were on the cusp they were already working on other things yeah. and this was a sign yeah i just need to go home and let this other job go because my my side hustle became is now my main hustle i'm gonna go ahead and do it some people had that thought process then you had these Facts. some people who really have no idea what they're going to do tomorrow and they True. literally sat their desk and listened to that their boss probably sent them an email and they said you know what i'm just gonna log on out this is this is enough right here <laughs> and just left their job at lunchtime and just was like i'm not coming back like that's the way it is and let me and let me just say this whatever they say about your hundred back is none of your business because basically Mm-mm. they can't say it to your face then it wasn't meant for you to hear anyway oh. so who cares what they say and fanny pearl told me very young much like Renee, and I'm not going to cuss. Well, yes, I am going to cuss because she literally said I was getting a spanking every day for I don't know how long. She was tearing me up. I was going to tell her for school. And literally, like after she had spanked me like twice, maybe in the same day, because I deserved them. I deserved them. <laughs> she literally tore up all the time. She literally looked at me and said, you're just not going to give a damn early in life. And that was literally <laughs> what it came to. She just knew that the beatings and the spankings and the discipline was not working. And that's just, that was just my my mindset because she she was trying to tell me that it, that's it for you you just go be what it is so thank goodness for those people who love me who continue to be my village release your job but, release your yeah, but you need a plan you need a plan don't release everything without a plan see well my thing is my piece was giving the stress to you I love to flip it there you go see and, there you go that's so what we're talking a lot about. of times people say well how did this happen well I flipped it that's, that's what Snuggle happened Snuggle flipped the script in a hurry and I think that's kind of what Serena was saying in a sense of she gonna you want to play a game you know that uh, right. song you want to play a game yeah, Snook I love, book it. I love games listen Snook. <laughs> I love it Snook said I love games she do she do it's like chess you make your move okay I'll analyze it figure out and then I'll make my move now your move you <laughs> might have thought got me but my move will definitely get you so that's the way I've always tried that's that critical thing. am I right Nicole checkmate <laughs> <laughs> so having said all of that, release your job, release your stress. <laughs> like, we gonna hold y'all, but if you do, you might want to have a plan because Beyonce, she's sitting good right now. She might release some jobs and release some stress, and she's still gonna be sitting on about fifty milli. I don't know. I know they like the billion dollar couple, but she can release fifty eleven jobs and still be sitting on fifty eleven million. So release your job and release your stress if you want to, but always protect your peace. Coming up, we have Terrence Moore, the author of The Real Hank Aaron and also a national sports columnist for Forbes.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thank you so much, Mr. Moore. I got to call you Mr. Moore because we have... 
Terrence Moore, the author of The Real Hank Aaron and also national sports columnist for Forbes is here with us. And first of all, thank you for joining us, Mr. Moore. Yes, thank you. Yes, welcome, thank welcome. Thank you. But I got one request. Call me Terrence. Call me Terrence. Okay, is that okay? <laughs> Look, you heard Snook. Snook, you heard him say it. I don't want no problems. I don't know. Now, I raised her better than that. I raised her better than that. If you have permission, then it's, it's allowed. It's allowed. That's okay. right. That's, I, I have permission. So we will proceed as Terrence. Thank you so much. And listen, we all know I'm here in Atlanta. So you know that that was a big deal we did a lot of different things when the legend Hank Aaron passed. Bally Sports put on a whole show. There was the stadium. And you were actually one of the pallbearers. That's intimate. Not everybody gets to be a part of something so intimate. So I wanted everyone to know that, like, the family, you are essentially part of the family. You didn't just author the book, but you've been around since, honestly, since you were 12 years old, you had a poster, right? It's right here. Matter of fact, that's, that's, that's it. That's it. That's, that's Twelve years old, wow. and, and I'm a little bit older than you guys. I got this back in 1968, and it's oh, in perfect no. condition. So I went from being that 12 year old baseball fan, Hank Aaron fan, in 1968 to actually I was an honorary pallbearer in January 2021 when Hank died. So my book is about you know just like in the black church when people die, you have ministers talk about uh, you look at the tombstone. You got the the birthday, you got the death day, you got that dash in between. Uh-huh. This book is about that dash in between that poster and me being an honorary Paul Bird. That's beautiful. <laughs> that is That's beautiful. awesome. That's an and, and so the book is about the everything in between. And with all books, I just want to ask, like, what is something that people might be shocked? Not to spoil any. I know there's a lot of nuggets in there, but if you could give us something like what's something that I think people would you think people would be surprised about? Uh, Renee, how much time you got? Uh, listen, listen, listen. I, I am not saying this just to sell books, although I am. But this book, <laughs> people think they know Hank Aaron. I mean, there's been tons of books written about Hank Aaron, tons of movies, tons of magazine stories. And then I just tell you, they answer that question that in the summer of 2020, before he died, you know, I was talking to Hank and I said that out of all the stuff that's been done about Hank Aaron, no one really has touched the real Hank Aaron. And he agreed with me. That's why I, I just kiddingly say that it's a lot of stuff in, in here. But let's just start with this, and we can talk about more. You know, Hank Aaron was a guy who was very proud of his record, the home run record, 755, but he wasn't obsessed with it. So whether or not Barry Bonds or, or uh, the man on the moon broke the record, Hank really didn't care about that, okay? Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds, the guy that broke the record, his record in August of 2007. Hank didn't mind Barry the player so much, but he didn't care for, for Barry the player, which leads oh. to something that I talk about in the book. There was this famous commercial that some people may remember back in 2002. This is the Super Bowl. And it was a mm-hmm. commercial between, with uh, Barry Bonds and Hank Aaron for uh, uh, Charles Schwab. Great, funny commercial. Google, if you've never seen it before. That commercial almost didn't happen because months before it happened, Hank called me up right here in this room and he said, hey, they want me to do this commercial, but I'm not going to do it. And he didn't elaborate at the time. And I knew, <laughs> talking to Hank, I knew he was just going to get back to what he was talking about. So a few <laughs> weeks went by and then he calls me back and he said, Terrence, I decided to do the commercial. And I said, huh, why, why did you change your mind? He said, because they said, if I do this commercial with Barry Bonds, 
they guaranteed that I don't have to be in the same room with him at any time. <laughs> that tells you what you thought about Barry Bonds. Wow. So that's, that is interesting. People will be shocked and surprised yes. to hear that. So I'm curious with all the things that have been written, I've seen a lot of stuff. Why do you think that people haven't been able to get to the real Hank Aaron? Where's the disconnect happening? Oh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a great question. And, 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 and a lot of it has to do with Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron was a very, very private person. And, you know, and for a guy that was so approachable, which he was, he may have been, you know, I was like Renee, uh, the most approachable superstar that you can find on the face <laughs> of the earth. You know, you, but at the same time, if Hank could go days, weeks, and months and not talk to anybody except his family and close friends, he would be good with that, too. Wow. My so, kind of person. Oh, wow. Yeah. He reminds me of Renee, so my that, kind that of person. In a, in a nutshell, what we're talking about. And, and that's why I feel so blessed. And I call myself in the book, The Hank Aaron Whisperer, because he would talk to me when he wanted, when, wouldn't talk to anybody else. First is the Barry Bonds thing. Barry Bonds broke his record in August of 2007. The year leading up to that point, I was the only reporter that he would talk to. So I became very popular. Wow. And so everybody else just shut out, partly because of the privacy and partly because he didn't want to be reminded anymore of his Babe Ruth chase back in the early 70s, which was horrific for him. That affected Hank more than people ever will realize. I mean, he was very traumatized by that. And by talking about mm. Barry Bonds going for his record, that reminded him of those old tapes. Mm, goodness. Wow. And it took that long for somebody to break yeah. his record until 2007. That's incredible. It really That's is. That's amazing. That's amazing. So we're talking about his legacy, and he was a private person. And you hit on the real Hank Aaron. So there's a lot of, of talk around baseball right now and changing the rules and different things like that. I don't know if you've talked to him about it or not, but are there any certain roles in baseball at the time that he knew? Like, it, did he foreshadow any of this becoming a problem? Well, you know, I want to tell you the biggest thing that he foreshadowed being a problem. And But I, I want to start with this. Hank Aaron loved baseball. Just loved it. Yeah, and matter, matter of fact, you know, he died at 86. And even in his latter years, he got to the point where he was adjusting to the times encounter him and he'd be watching a game on his computer. You know, he was just that, you know, very good at watching baseball. So to answer your question, the thing that really bothered him about baseball was not so much on the field as far as those type of things. It was happening with blacks in baseball. And this is a very mm -hmm. deep subject because this also ties into when Hank and I first got together back in 1982. And I'll set it up this way. In 82, I was a, a columnist for the San Francisco Examiner. I discovered that something weird was happening in baseball where the numbers were dropping. See if this sounds familiar, hmm. okay? Right now in Major League Baseball, the number of African-Americans percentage in Major League Baseball is 7%. So in 1982, when I was alarmed by the drop of the number of blacks in baseball, it was 19%, okay? Wow, wow. So I, I wanted to see, Yeah, and I wanted to see what was going on here, you know, with that kind of stuff. And, and I had enlightened editors back then, and they just told me to take some time off. But anyway, in a nutshell. I told you some time off. Okay, well, I, that could be dangerous to tell a sports writer that. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, in the mid-1970s, that was the, the peak of African-Americans in baseball as far as percentage-wise. It was 25%, had dropped to 19% in 82. So I was like, what's going on here? And then I started talking to Black players, white players, management people, scouts, everybody in baseball. And to a man, on the record, the general consensus was that baseball was purposely phasing out African-Americans. I can believe hmm. it. 1982. I believe it. So then I, then I talked to Hank Aaron about this, because Hank Aaron at the time was the only 
black executive in Major League Baseball in 1982 when he was in the front office of the Atlanta Braves. And, and Hank said then in 82 to his death that baseball was purposely phasing out African-Americans. No, I'm, I'm saying African-Americans, not blacks. I'm not talking about Latins. I'm talking about African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And then I discovered the smoking gun. A white scout gave me a scouting report. Matter of fact, they say never leave home without it. I got it right here. Amazing. Ooh, Let's see what we're talking about here. Hip-hop receipts. <laughs> hip-hop receipts. <laughs> this is from 1982. You probably can, can see it a little bit. There's a slot for race on the scouting report. Computerized oh. scouting report. The NFL didn't have it. The NBA didn't have it. Only Major League Baseball. I confronted oh. then-commissioner Bowie Kuhn. I called him up, you know, and I said, Bowie Kuhn up. You know, working in San Francisco, called him in New York. And, you know, after some chit-chat, I said, uh, Mr. Commissioner, is uh, Major League Baseball phasing out African-Americans? Again, this is back in 1982. And, of course, he said, oh, of course not. That's ludicrous. So then I, I said, okay, uh, is there anything on your computerized scouting report that would say otherwise? And Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner of baseball, said, no, no, absolutely not. And then he caught himself. He remembered he's mm-hmm. a lawyer. They said, mm. well, uh, not, not that I know of, not that I know of. <laughs> so that's when I faxed that, that copy of the scouting report, and then all hell broke loose. 26 major league teams at the time, they immediately told them to stop the practice, which tells you they knew what was going on, okay? And so the next question people are going to ask, and, and, I know, and I've been asking this for 40 years because I'm the only person in, in America that writes about this or talks about this because everybody else goes by the myth which is a myth that the reason African-Americans don't like baseball because they prefer football and basketball. No, we've been conditioned to think that way, okay? That is not true, all right? So so what I've been pointing out for the, the last 40 years when I get the counter of this, and primarily from white media, you know, I do ESPN, I do MSNBC, I do CNN, NFL, I do everything, and, and the pushback I always get, and I remember I was doing a Jim Rome show, I used to do that for five years, and somebody came back and they said that, you know, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would baseball do that? They they want the best players. Well, I want to tell you why baseball did this. And I told you this was not going to be a, a short answer. Okay. <laughs> back in April 15, 1947, when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, okay, people get this wrong. And Hank used to talk about this all the time. Jackie Robinson did not prove that blacks could play baseball. Baseball already knew that. Baseball was terrified that blacks could play baseball. They already knew that because mm-hmm. of the Negro Leagues. Immediately mm-hmm. after Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier on April 15, 1947, immediately African-Americans start prospering in the game like crazy, winning MVP awards, the Cy Young Awards, Rookie of the Year Awards. And then we get to the point of the 1960s. The 1960s, the three best players in Major League Baseball were not white. Okay, mm-hmm. We're talking about William Mays, Frank Robinson, uh, Hank Aaron, Bob Gibson, okay? None of these guys look like uh, Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, or, or, or Joe DiMaggio, okay? Then we get to the 70s, the greatest team in the history of, of baseball. I grew up as a diehard Big Red Machine fan in Cincinnati. was that Big Red Machine team, okay? That won more games than any team in the 70s, two world championships. Guess what? Their starting lineups was all black except for two players, Pete Rose and Johnny Bench. Mid-1970s, the Pittsburgh Pirates did something that hasn't been done before or since, they fielded an all-black baseball team. Then you got the 1971 All-Star Game, baseball. Both starting pitchers were black. The most valuable player of, of that game, Frank Robinson, was black. The, the most outstanding player was Reggie Jackson. This is in Detroit. Hits the light tower. It, it, this mammoth home run. He was black. 
So I'm saying all this to say, to tie it all together, if you're Major League Baseball and the people who think that way, it's like, oh, my goodness, they're taking over the game. we got to do something. And that's no, when we start that's seeing that race no. on the scouting reports. Wow. And so I'm like, I'm I'm shocked and not shocked all at the same time. Right. Let me just say, yeah, me let too. me just say that. But to me, we're okay. They stopped makes doing it. Makes a lot it, of right? sense, actually. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And then since they've stopped doing it, has the uptick gone back up or, or, or so what's the problem there? So it's just well, been on the decline since well, then? Well, what, what it is, and, and again, and let me, let me, let me say this. I, one of my favorite sayings I tell my mentees and, and just people in general, I'm also a Sunday school teacher. And I always tell my Sunday school kids, I teach teenagers and every, everybody else that everything's the same. Everything's the same. Everything's a microcosm of everything else. Everything we're talking about in baseball applies to all aspects of sports, I'm mm-hmm. talking about in a negative way when it comes to African-Americans and okay. it applies to society. It's all the same. OK, so just because and you, you guys probably should know where I'm going before I get too far into this. just <laughs> because Major League Baseball decided to take the race off the scouting report. That doesn't mean they still weren't doing ways to phase out African-Americans. They just mm-hmm. found out different ways to do it. That's not as blatant. They, they, exactly. they were as, they more subtle that we might not notice. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> Next up, we have more with Terrence Moore. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The term America's pastime, what do you think that that means to MLB? Well, I mean, obviously it means to a lot of people the great white pastime. Because, again, you look at the, this period, and this goes back to something else that, that I write about in my book that Hank talks about. Before, 95% of this book is stuff that's never been said before about Hank Aaron. Hank wow. was a pleasantly radical person, contrary to this image of just being this docile guy. I mean, Hank was was very much uh, a civil rights person as Rosa Parks and, and Muhammad Ali and uh, and LeBron James before LeBron James, okay? And so one of the things we talked about uh, quite a bit was that Babe Ruth was one of the biggest, I want to call him a fraud, but that might not be, might be too much of a word, but pretty close as far as his image is concerned because everything prior to April 15, 1947, when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, you could put an asterisk by because prior to that, they weren't playing the best competition. They were playing just white players. So a, a huge hunk of Major League Baseball history, professional baseball started in 1869. So from 1869 till April 15, 1947, I wasn't a math major at Miami, Ohio. I was an econ major, but I'll just put it that way. That's a long time. Yeah, that's a long <laughs> you time. White people playing the game, yeah. right? And then and so only from that point, and then when they from 47 until – Somewhere in the late 60s, 70s, when they said that we got to put a stop to this, 
And, and one other thing that I need to add, George Foster, who was a, an all-star outfielder back in 82, when I was doing this research and doing this series, was a prophet. And he was the only one that said this. George Foster, who was an African-American outfielder for the New York Mets at the time, he pointed out in 1982, he said, what Major League Baseball is doing to cover their tracks with African-Americans, he said they are phasing out the African-Americans and easing in Latin players because to the bulk of America, meaning white America, they would, won't know the they difference. They can't tell the difference. They'll just say, oh, wow. it's just a black person. And that's exactly what's happened because the percentage of Latin Americans in the game now is way over 25, 30%. Yeah, it's gone down. And yeah. whenever I write about this for the Atlanta Journal Constitution, and that's a whole other story there, mm-hmm. when I was the first African-American black sports columnist in the history of the Deep South, and that's one reason Hank and I got close because I was catching hell there but that that paper inside and outside the paper, because I was talking and writing about the things we're talking about right now, and they didn't want to hear it because many people knew what I was saying was true. Right. Okay. And and so what was happening was every time I would write a story or talk about what I'm talking about here about African Americans, I would get pushback either inside the Atlanta Journal Constitution, certainly outside, but say, oh, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, what about this guy? This guy is it? They're Hispanic. That doesn't count. Well, they should count because they're, <laughs> see, that's what I'm saying. These mind games are being played. Yes. Mm. These people know exactly what they're doing. And that's why we have to really kind of put their feet to the fire on this stuff. Well, what they want to do is pit us against each other. Exactly. That's the bottom line. If they can have us knock off each other, then their game is easier. Yeah, and there's, there's no doubt about that. And Hank also realized that. As a matter of fact, one of the things I point out in the book, I had hundreds of conversations with Hank. And there was never a time that I talked to Hank that he didn't tell me something that he's never told me before. And getting back to that Barry Bonds chase, which ties into what you just said a few minutes ago about pitting us against each other. Again, Hank didn't want anything to do with the Barry Bonds chase, partly because he didn't like Barry Bonds, but also because it reminded him of the Babe Ruth chase and what have you. So I was the only person he would talk to. So, yeah, but he had all these people in, in the public black and white, saying, that, oh, he should be talking, he should, he should be out there, he should be speaking more about Barry Bonds, more support. So after a month after the home run chase when Barry Bonds breaks the record, Hank calls me up right here. I'm sitting right here at this desk, as a matter of fact. Hank calls me up, and he was just telling me about how he discovered at that age, he was 73, that he didn't have as many friends as he thought he had. Mm, mm. And so he just started purging people that he thought were his friends because of the way they reacted during that chase and basically insinuating that he wasn't black enough. We're talking about Hank Aaron now. Wow. This guy, they weren't black enough. And then that's when he started finding out that a lot of his so-called friends were only acquaintances and associates. I'm curious because you said he told you something different every time that you guys would talk. So did he know you were going to write a book? Were you taking notes? Like, you, like what was that experience like? If he called you, like, what was that like? That is a very good question. And, and, and I'm going to answer that in a two-part way. The, I'm going to start with the latter part. Uh, the latter part is Hank died in January of 2021 and the summer of 2020. That's when I came up, came up with the idea of this book. And of course, Hank died. But my book project was able to go on simply because of all the experiences I had with Hank. And the other thing is I had this unique thing. And this partly answers your question, too. We as reporters have this habit of you interview somebody, you tape them, and then you just erase it and just move on to the next thing. Just like Bill Belichick, like on to Cleveland. Okay? We're just like, <laughs> let's go on to the next one, whatever. So it was like the early 1990s, and I was just sitting here, and I was listening to Hank tape, and I was like, why am I erasing these tapes? This is Hank Aaron. And I just started right. saving these things. 
And so one of the things I'm doing now is NFTs. I'm turning a lot of these things into NFTs. Cool. So people can can own a piece of these these sound bites and what have you. So, so yes, I mean, he knew what was going on. And matter of fact, as recently as right before his death, because that's what I was telling him what I had and what I wanted to do. So he was just perfectly fine with it. Wow. So awesome. he gave you your blessings. That's yes, perfectly fine. That's I mean, beautiful. he basically gave you his blessings, which we kind of could have assumed he would. If he was, you were the only person he was going to talk to, then you're pretty much the only story person that can tell his story. That's beautiful. I want to know about these NFTs, though. You're not going to just drop little nuggets <laughs> on us and think we're going to pass by them. We have real sound of Hank Aaron that might be in these NFTs, like real sound bites. Like, tell me about, like, what is going on? Well, you will definitely have real sound bites. I, I've already got a company in New York, and uh, we're in we're in the beginning stages. So as time goes on, you got to have me back on your show to talk about it because we're still oh, hey, absolutely, we're, we're, absolutely, we're still in the early stages of it, but we're making great progress. And it's going to be awesome. As a matter of fact, the uh, the New York company came here to my house. They went through the, my archives. Uh, and it's, we're talking about hours, 10, 15 hours of Hank Aaron. And they've wow. already got the sound bites uh, picked out. And now we're waiting to go to that next next stage. Wow. Wow. That's and awesome. you were saving it for that exact moment. You didn't even <laughs> yes. know that. Yes. yes. There you go. Like there was a reason. Yes. Now, Mr. Moore, with all of this oh, research. No, Terrence, Terrence. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Mr. Moore is my dad. Okay. <laughs> okay, Terrence, with um, all of this background information that you followed down through the years, uh, will you be doing anything, I guess, um, writing about anything that might help Black minorities enter into the baseball world? Is there anything that you can see that could be done to help improve the percentages of individuals who who play baseball? I know my husband said that was his best sport, but where he he lived when he was coming up, he had no access to get to the field and back home because there were no other minorities who played the sport. So he was kind of left out there hanging without a way to play. So he went to football. But what can you do or is there anything you can put out there that might help spark the interest in our younger individual uh, minority youth for the field of baseball. Yeah, you know, first of all, uh, and I, I would say this, and without contradiction, you know, I've been a professional sports journalist for forty-five years. I can guarantee you that nobody on the face of the earth has written more about this subject than me. Okay, about, <laughs> so that's number one. I mean, written about it, talked about it, so. Did that, done that, doing that. So, I mean, that, that's been an Crazy. ongoing thing. So, you know, awesome. I'm doing it right now. Okay. Anytime I get a chance to talk about it, I talk about it. Matter of fact, I'm yes. going to be on ESPN outside the lines. I'm going to talk about okay. it then. The same thing. I'm the only one that talks about it. You know, Beautiful. I'm talking about black or white. Okay. The other thing is, this is uh, an answer that people won't want to hear. And this goes back to what I said before about how everything's the same. This is not a baseball problem. This is not a sports problem. This is a, a societal problem. So that question you just asked is just like asking, when is racism going to start in America? Okay, because this is just tells you what goes on across the board. Now, mixing sports, let's go to the NFL. And and I mentioned this on the air, you know, when it happened in big time and they wanted to cut me off, but I, I got it out. Okay, <laughs> NFL. All right. Right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, let's talk about Atlanta, Georgia, the home of Dr. Martin Luther King, the the cradle, the civil rights uh, cradle, and the city too busy to hate and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so anyway, the owner of the Atlanta Falcons is a guy named Arthur Blank. Mm-hmm. Arthur Blank has been part of the the NFL diversity committee since 2002 when it first came to existence. Now I know you guys probably know. I don't know about your 
your viewers, but um, there's a thing called the Rooney Rule. <laughs> yes. It came in a bang yes. in 2002. And in a nutshell, what the Rooney Rule says that, that to try to get teams to hire African-American head coaches, uh, in other words, spoiler alert, they're not hiring African-American head coaches. In order to get them to hire them, the Rooney Rule was supposed to help them do this by forcing teams to interview at least one black candidate uh, and, and then just go from there. 2002, when the Rooney Rule came into existence, 2002 was when that diversity committee began with the NFL. One of the, the first persons on that committee was Arthur Blank, the owner of the Atlanta Falcons. I'm sending, sending, I'm sending this up for something, so follow me on that. <laughs> okay. So earlier this spring, the NFL is currently being sued, sued by a guy named Brian Flores for racism. Right. Okay. Right. They're discriminatory practices, not only for black head coaches, but also black general managers and other positions. And this lawsuit has got the NFL scared to death, okay? And they're trying all kinds of ways to make it disappear. They want to go to arbitration and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, one of the things that the NFL did, and I got to give the NFL credit. I mean, they're pretty powerful now. I mean, they, they made $17 billion last year for a reason, yeah. okay? They're not stupid. Yeah. So <laughs> they start, they, you know, they, they want to do all this stuff, this window dressing stuff. So one of the things they came up with, they decided to have this meeting where they have all the NFL owners and then they would bring in, quote, black candidates, potential black candidates for head coaching jobs to come to this meeting where they can meet and greet the NFL owners because they're saying that, well, one of the reasons why the NFL owners are not hiring these guys because they just don't know where they are. You hire who you know is what they were trying to use that yeah. reference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So so, <laughs> so, so, they say, okay, well, where can we have – they want to have in Atlanta, Georgia, right? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., cradle of the civil rights movement, okay? <laughs> Arthur, Arthur Blank, you know, this, the benevolent Arthur Blank, you know, who's, uh, you know, I mean, owns the, the Falcons here in the city and, and that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. So – uh, so part of the diversity committee. Oh gosh, I mean that, that guy. So Arthur Blank gives a keynote speech of this big to do. All right. Now, the reason I'm saying all this, let's examine Arthur Blank. 2002 is part of this committee. Since 2002, his Atlanta Falcons have hired five. Okay, I'm sorry, like LeBron here. Not one, not two, not three. Five head coaches. Somebody tell me out there. How many of those five head coaches were black? Uh-oh. It was zero. That's right. <laughs> that's a long way to say, go back to answer your question about baseball or whatever, and that's how everything's the same. That's what we get, okay? We get this window dressing stuff. We get this stuff that, that makes it look like something's happening when it's not. And we as a society, that's black and white, we got to stop falling for this, okay? Stop falling for the games, all right? And, and let's, let's see what exactly what's, what's happening here. So they have all of this stuff. And still nothing was happening. Right, Man, right. No, I, we right back we started. Everything is connected to everything. Like that is pretty much the everything going on right now. Let's make up something that looks good, but is it effective more so? That's where we have to get to the effectiveness. Honestly, that's kind of how I ended up in ownership as well. In a sense of during that time frame, everyone was talking about why aren't there enough, you know, black coaches in the NF NBA and NFL the NBA has really turned up since they got put to the fire and people started to say the NBA name alongside the NFL. The NBA looked like they took offense to that. Like I took that personally. Like, you know, that, that is, like the MJ meet, I think I took that personally because since the NBA has been in even that two year span, we see that I think almost half of the NBA coaches exactly. now are, yeah. are, yeah. are exactly black. Half. Yeah. 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 And so I think that that, that is 
when you talk about us putting our foot, people's foot to the fire and, and we have to get answers, I think the NBA answered the call. But the NFL, we're still trying to figure it out. The WNBA, I think, above and beyond, leads the charge in, in all of those things. You know, even with our team, if you want to talk about ATL, the city of MLK, <laughs> well, if you want to look at an example, people need to look at the Atlanta dream of what that could look like because that's what we're trying to do there. We, you know, we have Tunisia Wright. She's not only a black coach, but she's a former WNBA player. And I think that that matters as well because she's a part of the game. So, you know, I'm just curious. Yeah, and so. even even also just to add to that point, when Renee became an owner, we didn't even know that the league, the WNBA has been in existence for 26 years. Exactly. We didn't even know that she was the, the first former player turned executive and one of the first players to even turn owner. So that was mind blowing that in the whole existence of the league that she is one of the first, just going back to that point of, of where, you know, all, all these things that we're putting into, into existence and, and to create change, are they actually creating change? You know, are, are people putting action behind those words? Well, you, you know, and again, a couple things about the NBA and, and, and I tell you, it's mostly good, but I'm going to just put a cautionary tale here. Because, and, 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 and by the way, I'm considered the controversial sports journalist. Anyway. So, uh, so here, here's, here's, here's the, the good part. And it's mostly good. It's mostly good. One guy that really gets overlooked in NBA history and uh, I'm a huge Oscar Robertson fan, <laughs> you know, from a bat, from a from a playing standpoint and otherwise. But Oscar Robertson, back when he was in charge of the Players Association, did a whole lot to kind of bring the league to where it is today. And even during that bad period in the '70s, when the NBA was infested with with drugs uh, scandals and and fights on the court, and they they're putting the NBA Finals, you know, after the 11 o'clock news and that sort of thing. And and so then you get to the period with the the, the magic and the bird thing, you know, and then that started exploding yeah. and it started taking off to a different level. So not to choose any of that, not to not to take anything away from David Stern, who deserves a huge lot of credit for what he did along these lines, and, and then Adam Silver now, what have you. But here's my cautionary thing: uh, the one thing I think people have to be careful of, and then and again, you got to think in the, in the mindset, unfortunately, of the way. People who don't think like us, and I'm talking about black and white, okay, about things. Now, the NBA is sort of like a, a crutch that people can use to say that, what are you complaining about what's going on in the NFL? What are you complaining about what's going on in the major league? Now, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about the people with sinister motives. Look at me. Look at the NBA. It's, it's almost what they're saying is, you, you people, you've got the NBA. What are you complaining about? Oh, wow. You, know? yeah. you don't yeah. need any of that. So that's, that's my only thing where I just put that little – Caution. So we time. only get one. <laughs> yeah, they the like, you can't have it all. You can't have it all. That's what they're telling us. Yeah, that's what they're telling us. Because like, cause you're not just the pros. Look at colleges. The same way. Yeah. There's no college black football coaches, hardly at all. Okay. Got a few in college basketball, but not as many as you used to. So the only sport that's really doing it is the NBA, which is to be commended. And the WNBA, yes. that's good. But. Just be careful of listening to these people. I mean, it just kind of reminds me of something that's a little bit off subject, but ties right in and just popped in my head. Woody Hayes, you guys probably never heard of Woody Hayes. Woody Hayes was this great uh, football coach for Ohio State. Legendary, mm -hmm. okay? Very volatile guy. Matter of fact, he got he got fired for punching on a opposing team on the sidelines during the game. Anyway, that was <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> but, but anyway, I got along very well with Woody Hayes. And the last interview I had with Woody Hayes was like 1978. He told me something I never forgot. Woody Hayes, a white guy. He said that, young man, be careful of people patting you on the back because they might be looking for a soft spot to stick the knife in. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Be careful of people. Be careful of people. Say, oh, look at the NBA. They're doing so great. They're doing so great. You should be happy about the NBA. 
And now at the same time, they're still doing all this other stuff with Major League Baseball, NFL, and what have you. Just, just mm-hmm. saying, just saying. Just yeah, you're, no, right. Mm-hmm. you're right. I completely you're understand what you're right. saying. It's almost like we almost can't just be satisfied with what we have right here is kind of that's why the they say the marathon continues that's shouts to nipsey hustle that's why they say the marathon continues but mr terrence we're gonna have to have you come back yes. I, mean, is it, that I know it? that we that that that's, that's what oh i'm saying right here all I, of this I, I, I we were just getting started okay <laughs> all the stories but again the real Hank Aaron an intimate look at the life and legacy of the home run king written by Mr. Terrence Moore please go get you a copy wherever you can get one they're everywhere and this is the real Hank Aaron okay so you might think you know things about Hank Aaron he told you right here 95% of the stuff that's in the book has not ever even been told so you couldn't have heard that check out the book Love all the stories and wish you nothing but the best. We got to have you come back, Mr. Moore. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll be back. And let me, let me leave you with something I tell my Sunday school kids all the time. If you're standing still, you're going backwards. Commissioner's Cup is a couple weeks away, so we have the legend, the OG, Nancy Lieberman, to come on and talk a little bit about it. It's a big thing going on with the Commissioner's Cup. It started last year. You're a coach, so I'm curious. Like, I like to hear because there's a lot of money involved, so I like to talk about the money aspect of it. 30000 per player is the bonus if you win the Commissioner's Cup in the WNBA. How do players react about that bonus money? Because you're, you're a coach, Nancy, so I can speak about it from my view. Players turn up, of course, if there's bonus money online. Players are always going to play well, but what does bonus money do for sports, Nancy Lieberman? <laughs> I mean, you guys, Renee, how many times have you been somewhere and they have like all this, like at Nike or whatever, mm-hmm. and they got all this free swag and you look around and you take like four <laughs> or five books and pens. <laughs> you know, you're a millionaire and you're taking extra pens. And like, no, no, there's some stuff here. <laughs> So if you're going to give a player 30000 and also Jennifer Azey will kill me. You remember Jennifer yes. Azey, right? So I coached Jennifer Azey. I'll tell you about money. And I, I named her Jennifer De Niro because I was already paying her the highest you could pay at that time. I think it was 60000 the, the second year in the league mm-hmm. in Detroit. And then we had a little thing. She goes, coach, you know, like I went to Old Dominion and she went to Stanford, like, you know, Nancy's not, not so sharp <laughs> and we're great friends. She goes, if I make a foul shot, you pay me $2. And if I miss a foul shot, I'll pay you one. Okay. <laughs> you said, <laughs> you said, okay. <laughs> and, and, and she goes, that'll be so much fun. Okay. Jennifer, pay you to make your damn foul shots. Okay. <laughs> and then one day what I would do with the team is everybody had to bring $20 out of the locker room, put it half court. We had a one-on-one contest mm. and there was like 200 and whatever dollars. And then I matched it and whoever won one-on-one got to keep all the money. And one of the players went, coach, this is amazing. We play, get to play for money. <laughs> <laughs> call, have your agent call Cash me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's what thirty thousand dollars like just to put it in perspective yes so players are about that paper thank you that's what i was trying to articulate in that story perfection oh you pay your players every two weeks right (laughs) not that cash money sitting on the ground nancy i know what they talk about that half court money that's different money that ain't my salary money money. that's 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 milk money that's gas money that's unaccounted for money (laughs) for diem how about if somebody if somebody's like 15 minutes late getting on the jet, handing out the per diem, they're like, man, where's my Where my money is? <laughs> <Listen, Right. yeah. laughs> That's how it goes. Give it to me. If it's, if it's for me, give it to me. Run me yeah. my money. Woo. I love, love, love hearing about history and how things play out. Shouts to Terrence Moore for just taking us on a whole history class, honestly, but it made me think about Beyonce's song, Break My Soul, because you can't let anyone break your soul. She says, you won't break my soul. I think that is something that everyone should keep in their heart, keep in their spirit, because life will try to break you, period. I don't care who you are, life will try to break you. So Beyonce's whole song is about, look, I don't care what happens at job, my relationship, in, in life, and period, it won't break my soul. So I'm going to take that with me. I ain't going to release my job, though, but I ain't going to let nothing break my soul. I'll catch y'all next week. It's a generational thing here at MoCo. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.